Hi, this is Dan Cassetta. The episode today is on the subject of influence, one of the most important skills to develop in life. Over the years, I've had an opportunity to work directly with hundreds of business leaders and thousands of salespeople, and I've spoken to audiences totaling in the many tens of thousands. The ideas I've shared have translated into results, and that's the true measure of influence. Not how many followers you have or how many likes you get on your social media posts. That might be attention, but it's not necessarily influence. Many years ago, a wise leader taught me to do more of what works and less of what doesn't. I have spent my entire professional career studying the art of influence and crafting my skills. The tools I'll share with you in this podcast are tools that have been proven to work and they can help you have a positive impact on others in your life, both professionally and personally. This episode was created specifically to be used as a training tool for anyone who leads others or who wants to study and master the art of influence. Share this with your team and listen several times to really consider the ideas that I offer here. I'd love for you to leave a comment about this episode at changinglivespodcast.com. Just look for this episode title and click on the show notes to find the space to comment. Okay, without further ado, here we go. This is the five tools of influence. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Influence is defined as the power to affect others. Tell me one role in life where this isn't important. Leadership? Duh. Relationships? Hey, they're all about how we affect others and how we make people feel. At work? Every day, you're connecting with others, you're selling ideas, or you're motivating people towards certain actions. Parenting? This is probably our greatest opportunity for long-lasting influence. This is the key skill for living the kind of life that we want. It's so important to become truly great at influencing others, but not just for our own aspirations. If you're taking the time to listen to this podcast, the world needs you to affect others. I'll tell you why, because most people out there need to be led. Most people are inherently followers. They need someone in life who can show them what's possible, who can inspire them into action, who can convince them to hang in there when things get difficult. Leaders are the ones in life who get the most promotions, who get the most responsibility, the most pay, 
and the most personal satisfaction and it's influence that separates the leaders from the followers. I'm going to talk about five tools today that you can leverage to have a more powerful effect on others around you. And I'll take them one at a time. The first tool of influence that I'll reference here is connection. To have a profound influence, we must create solid connection with others. Tim Sanders, the author of The Likeability Factor, says that great influencers create a consistently positive emotional response in the people around them. So here's the first question for you to consider today is what type of emotional response do you elicit when you meet someone or when you enter a room? Or more generally speaking, how do you make people feel? The starting point for a solid connection is positive energy. Positive energy. Think about who you know who's great at this. Right? As soon as you start talking with them, you can feel a palpable sense of positive energy. When I think about guests we've had on this podcast who exhibit positive energy, I think of Hal Elrod right out of the gate. John Vroman is another who comes to mind. These are guys who when you, you're around them, you feel better, you feel more inspired, you feel more motivated. Someone that I've had on the podcast who I never met in person is Jennifer Glucko, now Jennifer Gittimer. And right out of the gate during our interview, I could feel this palpable sense of positive energy from her. She just seemed like someone who people would want to be around. This adds to one's level of influence. If you think about people inside the Cutco Vector Company uh, that exhibit that, certainly Brian Hurlman comes to mind. Kathy Kristen comes to mind. Many others, of course. But these are just a few people that really exhibit that sense of positive energy right when you meet them, right when you get around them. President Obama was elected to office largely due to his ability to convey positive energy. He had something, he had that ability to connect in a way that not everybody that we have had in elections has that same ability. Positive energy begins with genuine interest in others. If you think all the way back to the days of Dale Carnegie writing How to Win Friends and Influence People, one of the principles he wrote in that book was become genuinely interested in other people. I'm a bit of an introvert, and sometimes I have a hard time exhibiting positive energy all the time. But genuine interest is what can take you past that to make sure that the other person you're connecting with feels that sense of connection. It's important to develop a real sense of fascination in other people. What makes them unique? It's important to get people to talk about themselves. We connect more when we are interested than we do when we attempt to be interesting. And so it's important to be able to use skillful questioning in order to connect with other people. When I think of skillful questioning, a simple concept I could share is go three levels beyond the superficial, right? So you find out someone is interested in a particular hobby. Oh, they like rock climbing, right? Well, ask, well, how did you get into that? What do you like best about it, right? What would advice would you give if I wanted to do that? Like, where would I go first? Or you find out, you know, where someone lives. It's a typical thing we find out as you're meeting someone new. Oh, you live in, you know, this town, right? How long have you lived there, right? Where did you live before that? Where are you from originally? Oh, what brought you here, right? And you can get to know a little bit about someone's story. 
So just try to go a few levels beyond the superficial. What's important is to find common ground because people generally tend to like others who are like them. And when you can find commonalities and discuss those things, that's where connection can really be sparked. Another key element of great connection is to become a great listener. Becoming a great listener takes patience. And if you're not a patient person in general, it just takes a little bit of self-discipline to be patient in your conversations. As you're encouraging others to talk about themselves, resist the temptation to cut in and interrupt. Resist the temptation to one-up the stories with one of your own. There's a great principle shared in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. He says, you listen with the intent to understand, not with the intent to respond. And if you can keep that in mind, you'll become a better listener and you'll be more patient. I also want to add on a very simple note that a person's first impression is very important in establishing connection. Simply things like our appearance, our attire, do make a difference. I know there's people out there who are inclined to say, well, you know, Dan, people shouldn't judge me based on how I look. Well, let me give you a clue. They do. They do, and they always will. And so rather than fight that, I do think it's important to work within that, right? Now, your impression, you may want to convey a specific image of yourself through your impression. And maybe that means your attire is specifically not at a top-notch level. And that's okay, right? Consider though what the impression that you're giving is, you know, how it's conveyed to others at a first meeting through how you appear. Just consider that a little bit and think about what you want to convey. I think it's important to dress at a notch above the crowd at most events that I would attend. Just to convey that impression that I am unique, I am a leader. That's what I want to have conveyed to other people. So think about how that applies to you and just make sure you consider it. So positive energy, listening skills, your physical impression, these all start the process of connection. There's so much more I could say on this. And what I'll tell you is this. I have a free workbook that I've written all about connecting with others. It's available on my website. Just go to dancassetta.com, spell it right, one S, two T's. And right on the front page, you can type in your email address and you'll be able to download a copy of my workbook on connection. It's got 10 keys to connecting with others, running the gamut of skills. And I think it's something that you'll find to be very, very valuable. So the first powerful tool of influence is connection. Now, number two is an obvious one. It's language. The words that we use are so powerful. It's been said that our words create our worlds. And I really want to encourage you, if you want to be a leader and influence others, precision in language is very important. So one of the first tools I can share with you on this is as we're talking to others and trying to motivate and inspire others, we want to use what my friend and podcast guest Chris Malpors describes as desire-based motivation instead of fear-based motivation. I learned this many years ago from Tony Robbins where he talks about motivating people towards what they want versus away from what they don't want. We want to use aspirational words versus limiting words. A very simple example I've offered of this right, was something I noticed when I was at swimming lessons with my kids. 
and there was a kid running on the pool deck and immediately all of the lifeguards in the water or instructors in the water, they all yelled, walk, 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 walk. And that is an aspirational phrase. Walk, 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 walk. You're, you're, you're giving someone a goal that they want to do. Instead, at another pool that I was at one time, I saw someone run on the pool deck and quickly one of the lifeguards sitting up in a chair yells, hey, no running, no running, no running. And no running is a limiting phrase. Kids especially, they want to rebel against limitations, but they want to achieve aspirations. And so as you're inspiring and motivating other people, think about the words that you use, desire-based motivation versus fear-based motivation. The desire-based motivation will influence far uh, more consistently over the long term. Fear-based motivation can be effective very in very short-term bursts, but it's not something that tends to work over the long term. Another tool of language that I want to share is simply offering compliments, complimenting things you like, noticing things you like. Most people crave positive feedback from others. And the reason is because most people get a lot of negative feedback from others. And most people's image of themselves is not the greatest. This is why so many people are so worried about the image that they have. And so it's very important to be someone that makes people feel good around you. Make sure that compliments you offer are sincere and heartfelt, of course. Otherwise, people can see through that. A part of this is simply showing appreciation for others. William James wrote, the deepest principle in human nature is the craving to be appreciated. The craving, he said, to be appreciated. And so be someone who develops the habit of saying thank you in all settings and shows appreciation for other people who are around you. That's something that you can learn to do that can help other people as well. I also think it's key to use people's names as a part of your day-to-day language. This also goes back to Dale Carnegie, who said the sweetest sound in any language is the sound of one's own name being spoken. Of course, it's a more personal way of communicating with others, but here's what else is important about this. It grabs people's attention when you use their name. In this day and age, there's all sorts of distractions. People have their cell phone that's vibrating in their pocket or you know, people walking by or things they're thinking about. Attention spans are short. In using someone's name, grabs attention and and pulls someone back to you. And it can be an effective way of establishing a greater connection with others. There's also a very powerful set of influence skills that I first learned from Tony Robbins many years ago. It's called framing skills. Now, there's not enough time to do justice to this concept on this podcast. So I'll just touch upon these very briefly. The idea behind framing skills is this. How we are feeling is usually based on what we're focused on, right? If you in your mind right now focus and think about some sort of positive moment, positive experience, your body will feel good. If you focus on some type of like horrible experience that might happen or like a greatest fear you might have, you can literally make your body feel bad inside internally in that moment. The mind can't tell the difference between a real experience and one that is vividly imagined in detail. And so we can literally make ourselves feel good or bad by the questions that we ask or the things that we focus on. So what we do is often based on how we're feeling. So if you want to change people's behaviors, you have to change how they feel. And to change how they feel, you can change what they are focusing on. Framing skills will help you affect 
what someone is focusing on. And there are four framing skills. One of them is called the as-if frame. The as-if frame is putting yourself or putting someone else in a frame of mind of having already made a decision, having already taken an action. You're letting someone feel what it would be like to actually do something. So in Cutco, we teach our reps this, right? We teach something, you know, along the lines of in presenting our sets that, you know, hey, we have found that one of these sets here appeals to just about everybody. If you were considering a set of Cutco today, which one would you select? And it's getting the customer to think, well, maybe I'd pick this one, right? Or hey, if you did get this set, which investment option would you utilize? And the customer thinks, well, I'd probably do it on five payments, right? It's getting them to put themselves in a frame of mind of having already decided to buy. Now, you can use this skill on yourself by asking yourself a very powerful question. And the question is this, if you knew that you had accomplished this goal, how would it happen? If you knew you'd accomplished it, how would it happen? How would it unfold? This is getting you in your mind to feel what it would feel like to actually have done something and then reverse engineer the process to get there. And the more you can feel what it would feel like to actually do something, to achieve something, the more motivation you can create in the present to take the current action, the next step that it takes to begin moving toward that. By asking an as-if question, you can get someone to stop focusing on why something can't be done and instead focus on how it could be done. The as-if frame. The second framing skill is something called pre-framing. And this is directing someone's focus in advance. Now, again, this is something that everyone has learned that we teach people this, you know, in Cutco. If you're a Cutco rep, you've definitely learned this before. Before I teach you how to do it, by the way, let me show you how not to do this. All right. Here's how not to pre-frame something. All right. Let's say you've got to, you know, ask somebody to give you a ride to the airport or something. And it's, you know, early in the morning one day, right? You call them up or you go talk to them and you're like, Hey, Hey, buddy, I got a huge favor to ask you. Oh my God, what are they already thinking right now when you say that? I've got a huge favor to ask you. They're already thinking, oh no, what's going to happen here, right? You're pre-framing them in a negative fashion. Don't do that. All right, so we've already learned in Cutco how we pre-frame certain things, right? So one of the things that you want to pre-frame if you're a Cutco rep is the price of Cutco, right? Because Cutco is expensive, right? So one of the things that maybe you've learned from your manager is at the outset of a presentation, you'll let the customer know, hey, you know, you know, Mrs. Jones, one of the first things I want to tell you about Cutco is Cutco's not cheap. And I bet you're actually glad to hear that, right? Because what happens with cheap things? And they say they break, fall apart, wear out. Exactly, right? Nobody wants to buy cheap stuff. Cutco costs a lot more than you know, most things you could buy, but it's totally worth it as you're going to see. You've now pre-framed that the product is expensive, but that that's a positive factor, not a negative factor. That's an element of pre-framing that can be used in a lot of different sales uh, positions or sales industries. You can also relate that to a lot of different real life situations. So consider how you might be able to use the concept of pre-framing. Now, the third framing skill is called reframing. And reframing is about how you handle objections when they come up. What's important if you're working with somebody on handling an objection in a sales setting or in a certain life setting, it's important to listen first. 
Because if the person does not feel understood, if you just come right back with your answer and people don't feel listened to, they're going to tune you out right away. They put their defenses up and you're not going to be able to get your point across. It's important to acknowledge and clarify, you know, what they have said so that they feel understood. Then after that, you can propose some solutions. And after proposing solutions, you've given them new information. So it's acceptable to ask again, right, for the order or ask again for them to move into action on whatever it is you're trying to move them towards to close again. When I was a relatively new Cutco rep, the very first time I called my referrals, people I didn't know, I really flopped at it. Now, I did it before I was even taught how to call referrals. And that's an important piece of information I can share with you here. But I basically flopped at it. I remember getting like three appointments. I don't know exactly how many people I talked to, but it was quite a few. And I had quite a bit of rejection that happened. I called my manager. I wasn't feeling good about the job. And I was on the verge of quitting. I was like, yeah, I don't know if I can do this. I called referrals. It didn't go very well. You know, I only got three appointments. You know, everybody else said no. And my manager was like, wait a minute, you called people you didn't know? It's like, yeah. He said, I haven't even taught you how to do that yet. I was like, uh, okay. He's like, well, how are you? What were you saying? I was like, well, I was just saying what's in the book, which was an approach for calling people who we did know. He's like, you were using that for calling people you didn't know. And you actually got three people to say yes. I was like, yeah. And he goes, dude, you're the man. And I was like, what? Am I the man? Am I, am I the man? Really? I'm the man. So I got three appointments, right? And instantly I felt different. My manager reframed how I felt about what had happened. He asked me a few questions, found out exactly what went on, and he reframed how I felt very quickly in that moment. This is a skill that can be used to influence in a sales setting or in general in life. Now, the fourth framing skill is called deframing, and deframing is completely changing someone's current focus by getting them to look in a different direction altogether. In a sales setting, this might be something like changing the subject. If you can tell, for example, that a sales presentation is not going where you want it to go, it, the customer is not expressing interest, it just isn't clicking, if you just continue down that road, you're definitely going to have a no-sale. So it makes sense to attempt something different to try to change their focus. Changing the subject is a simple idea that you can utilize in this case. You might stop in mid-sentence in your sales presentation and just ask the customer about something that you saw as you were coming into their home or as you were coming into their office or wherever it is that you're meeting with them, right? Hey, what was that thing that I saw out there? And you ask them about that. You might ask a customer just out of the blue a question like, hey, you know what? Do you like to travel? And then it takes them off guard, like, yeah, why are you asking me about this, right? Hey, what's the coolest place you've ever been to? And you can start talking about that. And you could say, I forgot to ask this earlier. I always like to ask this question because I'm really interested in traveling and getting to know about places that I can visit and putting them on my uh, to-do list. And you ask them about that, right? Ultimately, you have to get back to what you were talking about. And you might bridge that gap by saying, hey, so you know, of what we've talked about today, what do you think you like best so far? And you're trying to find some piece of what you've shared that they can grab onto that they've liked that has been positive. And if there is, there's an opportunity for you to sort of reopen the conversation and move back in the direction you were going towards possibly having a sale. This is not something that works very often, but if it works at all, right, it's a lot better than zero. In life, here's what this means, deframing. What this means in life is dropping a topic when you can see that you're not getting anywhere. 
and then coming back to it later at what could possibly be a better time. If you're trying to affect someone towards some sort of outcome and you can see it's not going anywhere, just continuing down that road right now isn't going to get you to where you want to be. It's important to drop it, save it. Wait for a time when the person is in a different frame of mind, ideally a different mood, and you can bring up something again and you might have a more powerful effect. That's called deframing. Those are the four framing skills. I hope those help you out. So language, all in all, is the second key tool of influence. And it goes hand in hand with number three. Number three is demeanor. It's not just what you say, but it's how you say what you say that makes it stick or not. Eye contact is a critical part of demeanor because it conveys honesty and openness. Smiling is an important part of demeanor because it creates that positive energy that we talked about earlier. Confidence is a critical element of influencing people, of demeanor. It's so easy to follow someone when you know that they know where they're going, right? Consider who you think are some of the most confident people you know. Take a moment right now in your mind to, you know, name a few names of who you feel like are the most confident people you know. How do they portray that confidence? This could even be a great discussion you have if you're with a group right now. How do they portray that confidence? I think a big part of it is about knowing where they're going. That's a big part of confidence, knowing where you're going, having clear goals, ideas, thoughts in mind of what it is that you want, right? That's a big key. One tip that I can give you on that is that confidence comes from preparation. If you're meeting with somebody in a sales setting, attempting to influence them towards some action, get ready for that conversation. Prepare for that conversation so that you have your ideas you know, clearly identified. What do you want to talk about? What do you want to promote? How do you want to say it? Combine that with sincerity and passion, and you can communicate with confidence with anyone. I would also add along very similar lines that it takes congruency. Congruency means that your demeanor must match your words. I learned once that what convinces is conviction. If you have a real, sincere conviction in what you're doing, it's much easier to convince someone you know, to purchase or to act, to do what it is that you want them to do. There's a story, a legend, folklore maybe, that's told of a very famous tightrope walker named Zumbrati. And Zumbrati once walked a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And it was a windy day. It was a little bit dangerous, but he was able to perform the feat of walking across Niagara Falls. And there was a crowd. There were a lot of people there. Zumbrati loved attention. So, you know, a lot of people were around watching this feat. And when he finished the feat, people were congratulating him right? He was enjoying it. And a man walked up and the man was pushing a wheelbarrow. And the man told Zumbrati, hey, I believe you could go back across, but instead of having your long balance pole, you could go back across pushing this wheelbarrow. And Zumbrati said, oh no, it's a little too windy today, a little too dangerous. I don't think I can do that. And the man said, hey, come on, you could do it. The crowd would love to see it. What do you guys think? And the crowd's like, yeah, let's do it. And Zumbrati was like, well, I don't know. you know." And the man persisted and said, come on, you can do this. And Zumbrati looked at him and said, wow, 
you really believe that I could make it across with that wheelbarrow, don't you? And the man said, yeah, yeah, let's see you do it. And Zimbrati said, all right, I'll do it. Get in. Well, now you get to see how much congruency that man has you know, in his belief in Zimbrati, right? Because if he's congruent, he's like, all right, let's do it. And he's jumping in there, right? But if he's like, oh, oh sorry, I was just kidding. No, no, just kidding, right? Then Zimbrati knows, well, okay, so he doesn't really believe in this. You see, your demeanor must match your words. If you really believe something, it's important to be able to cast off your concerns and get in the wheelbarrow to communicate what you think, what you believe with congruency. That is a critical element of influence. Now, last, I'll add this when it comes to demeanor. A part of the art of demeanor is leaving ego out of your communication. Leave ego out of your communication. When ego gets involved, people now become defensive. And now they just want to win. They don't care what's right. They just don't want to let you have your way. And a simple adjustment in tone of voice is one of the biggest keys that removes ego out of your communication and can multiply your influence many times over. I once saw this quote. It was, when the air is charged with emotions, an attempt to teach, or you could replace that with the word influence, an attempt to influence is often perceived as a form of judgment or rejection. When the air is charged with emotions, an attempt to teach or influence is often perceived as a form of judgment or rejection. And so you can imagine in those moments how people feel. There was a story that came out recently in the world of sports about a coach who moved from college to pro and was given a five-year contract with his team. And he was fired recently, just halfway into his first year in that five-year contract. And one of the big reasons why was that he had lost his ability to influence the team. Those were the words that were used in describing this. He had lost the team. And a part of why he lost the team was that this particular coach was a notorious yeller. He yelled. He screamed. That's how he attempted to influence, yelling and screaming. Now, yelling and screaming might work in college where you've only got kids there for one or two seasons, sometimes three or four seasons on the team. Yelling and screaming might work. It's a short-term tool. But in the long run with professionals, right, it's not going to work. You're going to lose your influence. And that is so true in any long-term relationship right? Relationships with others in your home, relationships with kids in particular. Yelling is not the kind of demeanor that works to influence in the long term. It can be a short-term tool, but it doesn't work in the long term. And a great paradox about this is that when you don't yell very often, then those rare times where you do has an even more powerful impact 
because it really catches someone off guard and catches their attention like, oh, something must really be wrong here. So just be aware of how you use tone of voice in combining with the words that you use with people. That element of demeanor is a very, very powerful part of your influence. And demeanor, super powerful third tool of influence. Here's number four. The fourth tool of influence is your example, your actions. No matter what you say, people will watch what you do. And so I have a few thoughts on this one. First one is this, do what you say you'll do. Become the kind of person who when you say he'll do something, that's it. You are going to follow through. People know that. This builds trust, which is critical for confidence. It's important that you keep commitments. So be very judicious of what you sign up for in the first place, right? Don't tell everyone you'll do everything and then you, you don't have time to be stretched that thin. Be careful of the things you'll commit to so that people know when you say you'll do something, you're going to follow through. Develop that reputation, being somebody who always follows through. When people know they can count on you, it significantly increases your influence. I will never forget being at a meeting and talking with some of my people, and one of the people working with me was describing another person who was also working with us who you know they had known for a long time and this person said the one thing you can count on with her is that you can't count on her ouch boy that is a powerful and profound statement for someone to have made and so just think about now if you're that other person trying to influence someone trying to accomplish something and people are always sort of circumspect and well, i don't know If I can count on you, I don't know if you'll do your part, right? Follow-up is another element of this that's really important as a positive example, right? How you follow up with others when there are requests or questions or things that come up, particularly uh, this is important for salespeople. Somebody asks you for something and you agree, right? Make sure you get it done. Make sure you get it done quickly. Somebody has to ask you for something twice. It starts to compromise your influence. If they have to ask three times, They really feel like there's a failure in connection here and all of your ability to influence someone in that situation begins to to fall apart. It's also important to deliver more than you promise. And I think this is also a great insight for salespeople, right? Deliver more than you promise. Don't be somebody that exaggerates what you're going to offer and then leave somebody feeling disappointed. Instead, the opposite has a very powerful effect on your relationship. So connection, language, demeanor, Example, these are powerful tools that can enable you to influence others. Now, here is the fifth and most powerful tool, one which supersedes all the others. And it's very simply who you are. Who you are. How people in your life view you. It's been said that who you are speaks so loudly, I cannot hear what you say. Think about that and how it might apply to you. You know, Jim Rohn references the story of Jesus. And, you know, religion aside, Jesus was certainly a historical figure. And it was said that Jesus could say, hey, you, 
follow me. And the people would follow. People would just follow. That's a very short sales presentation right there. Hey, follow me. Try that out in your town and see what you can get done. (laughs) Jesus could just say, follow me. And people would follow. And here's why. He could be so brief because of all that he was that he didn't have to say. That's why he could be so brief, because of all that he was that he didn't have to say. You see, his reputation preceded him, right? When he would walk into a town, people would start whispering, hey, that's that guy, right? Strange things happen when that guy's around. And so because of all that he was, he could be very brief in influencing others. And it would be very powerful, the influence that he had. So think about the question of how people view you in your life. How do they view you? And what I really want to get at is how do you become the type of person that people want to listen to? How do you develop credibility? Because credibility in the marketplace, credibility in your circles is what makes people want to listen to you. And I can give you three ideas on how you develop credibility. The first is to produce. Become a walking example of everything that you're attempting to get other people to do. If you want to motivate and inspire people to work hard and to be persistent and to be nice to other people and you know to create powerful connections around them, do all those things yourself. Do all those things yourself. And that's what gets people to want to follow you. Now, second, right? You want to develop credibility? Have integrity to your word. Have integrity to your word. Do the things you say that you're going to do. That's so critical. And third, if you want to develop credibility, care. Care. Actually care about other people around you. It might sound like a real simple, almost trite point for me to make. But show people through your actions that you are interested in their welfare as well as your own. There are so many little micro moments that come up where you can show someone that you really care about their best interest. Or you can do the opposite and it lets people know that you have your interest in mind first. And now they will be questioning everything that you say and everything that you try to get them to do right? Is this because it's going to help them or is it going to help me? So you have to really convey that you are someone who truly cares about others around you. If you produce and you follow through on your commitments and have integrity to your word and you truly care about others, you can have maximum influence on others. And one of the most powerful lessons I've ever learned is that the world around you is a reflection of you. So who you are is perhaps the most powerful tool of influence. And as you develop yourself, your impact on others will be felt at a much, much greater level. I will end with a powerful story about the power of influence. And since I referenced President Obama a little earlier, I'm going to spotlight Ronald Reagan this time, just to hit both sides of the aisle. So when I was a child, we were in the midst of the Cold War. And the threat of a nuclear holocaust literally gripped the nation. If you're anywhere over 40 years old, 
you might remember a 1983 TV movie called The Day After, which presented a view of our country after a nuclear war had occurred. Well, in 1986, the two most important world leaders of the time got together in Iceland to talk about moving the world away from this threat. It was the U.S. President Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev of the Soviet Union. You could picture the scene, a long conference table, Reagan and his team on one side, Gorbachev and his team on the other side. And at one point during the summit, Gorbachev was so angry that he was literally standing up and pounding on the table, screaming and spitting across the table. The summit was in danger of collapsing, except for the skills of one man. Because you see, Ronald Reagan, he was known as the great communicator. He understood other people. And all politics aside, he had profound skills of influence. He looked across the table and he said, Mikhail, let's go for a walk. And the two men ventured outside and they wandered the grounds of the conference center. Well, tucked away on those grounds was a little cottage which Reagan had actually staked out earlier. And he knew it had a room with a fireplace, some couches, a much more comfortable, much less adversarial setting. So he led Gorbachev down to that cottage. And since the formal part of the summit had basically ended in failure, or so they thought, they were able to sit there with just their interpreters, not any advisors. And as the story is told, Over the next few hours in that little cottage, the seeds were planted for an agreement that would effectively end the Cold War within about another year or so. Soon after that, the Soviet Union broke up. Over a dozen new countries were formed or reformed. The Berlin Wall came down. All of Europe was transformed. Through his influence, one man changed the world. Reagan used his skills to connect. He used deframing at a moment when his attempts to influence would otherwise have failed. His demeanor was always one of composed confidence. He most certainly had to make and keep many commitments along the way to keep the wheels moving on ending the arms race, and he was himself viewed as a credible leader on the world stage. He changed the world. For many of us, who grew up in that era. And what I can say last today is that you can change the world of today or tomorrow. Let's all use our skills of influence to change lives. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button on your podcast player and please leave us a quick rating or even a short review. And if you want access to show notes for today's episode, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.